0: So it's that time of the year where we're all gearing up for winter viruses, right? Even though I feel like I haven't, I never escaped it. Like I've still been getting cold Mm -hmm. all the time. But but with winter coming, we know, you know, it's flu season. I got my influenza vaccine on Friday, so... So that's a discussion that's going to be coming out. You're going to see it at pharmacies, at your doctor's office. And so like anytime I am getting a lot of questions from my own patients about vaccines or, you know, I have questions myself as a clinician, I had to call an emergency podcast discussion with Dr. (laughs) Dean because... Obviously you're the expert around around vaccines and infectious diseases
1: yeah, I think I've seen those signs for influenza vaccines starting in August for pharmacies
0: oh my gosh yeah so so it's definitely here, but there's something a little different about this season as compared to last fall and winter season around vaccines for kids and it's really exciting in that this year we are going to be having a new vaccine, I guess I can call it a vaccine, uh, to protect against RSV, um, which we've done a recent episode on. And then there's also some new COVID boosters. So I really wanted to spend the majority of our discussion today asking you some questions about those.
1: Yeah. So there's influenza vaccine, and like every year it's for six months of age and older. And then for COVID, there's the new monovalent COVID vaccine. And then brand new for this year is the RSV prevention and we'll talk about why it's why or why not we call it a vaccine.
0: So let's start with flu, because I think most of our listeners are familiar with this. And so we can kind of breeze over it. So I guess just highlight why is getting this seasonal influenza vaccine so
1: important? You know, people think of influenza as being severe in the elderly But, you know, for children um, under two years of age, the morbidity, the severity of disease and hospital admissions, the rate is similar to uh, the elderly. And children die of influenza. In the U.S., in a normal year, about 100, 150 children die every year from influenza. So it can be severe. So everybody should be vaccinated if they're eligible for that.
0: Yeah. And just like you mentioned, eligibility for the flu vaccine is six months old and older every year. And for the very first time your kid gets their flu vaccine, so whether they're six months old or let's say they're they're two years old and they're getting it for the first time, they will need two doses separated by a month. And that's just kind of to prime the immune system, if that makes sense, to build up those antibodies to protect them. And then every subsequent year, once they've gotten those two doses, they'll just need one a year. Is that right, Dr. Dean?
1: Exactly. Yeah. Just that first time they need the two two doses.
0: And I think I've said this before in an episode, but I love framing the flu vaccine as a time that the whole family should come in together and get their shots. I think that a lot of times kids look at the doctor and their vaccines as like something that they alone are doing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, it's your turn to go get your checkup and you have to get your shots. But when families come and do it together, like, oh, Every year we go do this as a family. This is what we do to protect ourselves and others. It kind of like normalizes and even makes it kind of like exciting for kids.
1: Yeah. Otherwise, I think some kids feel like they're being punished or something. Right. Like
0: it's a punishment versus Mm -hmm. like when you do something like this, it's like, oh, okay. We're all going and doing this together. This is just something that we do. It it normalizes it. So family flu vaccine, huge proponent of a family flu vaccine over here.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Okay. So let's get into covid are they boosters? Is it? You said it's a new monovalent. So I guess first just clarify this for me.
1: Yeah. So the last version of the COVID vaccine was the bivalent vaccine. Um, the new formulation is updated to monovalent with the XBB1.5 strain. And um, this results in an improved immune response to current circulating variants, including EG5, which is the, the current most common one that's circulating um, in the U.S. And we're not calling them boosters anymore because really the, the nomenclature has changed because for some people just getting one shot is up to date, so it doesn't have to boost anything.
0: Okay. So I guess I, have, I need a little clarification on COVID vaccines because, you know, it's, it's one of those things that changes a lot. So mm-hmm. if a kid or let's say I have a six-year-old in my office... And they have completed their primary series. So initially, they may have gotten three Pfizer vaccines. Mm -hmm. And then they got a bivalent dose when it became available. Should they get a dose this winter as well because it has new strains in it?
1: Yeah, they should. Remember the vaccine, the immunity, the absolute protection lasts maybe three or four months. And the Mm -hmm. um, prevention against severe disease lasts a few months longer. And then the strains change. So everybody who's eligible should be vaccinated with the new formulation. And in terms of um, the schedule, the way I like to think about it, the simplified way is for unvaccinated children, six months to four years of age, they need a series. So they need two doses of the Moderna vaccine or three doses of the Pfizer vaccine for everybody else. For children less than five who've been vaccinated, and for children who are older than five, um, or for adults, it doesn't really matter if they've been vaccinated or not. Just one dose of the monoviolent vaccine um, makes them up to date, regardless of vaccination status. Because once they're that old, if they weren't vaccinated, they probably had COVID by now. Right. And so the n- new dose acts as like a booster upon their previous immunity.
0: Gotcha. And then in terms of like having COVID, we know that over the summer, there was another little spike that Uh we saw. So many of of my patients have had the disease naturally in the last few months. Does that count as this dose? Because it was probably that circulating strain or or like you mentioned, maybe waiting three months and then Uh getting it would be reasonable.
1: Yeah, the latter, because getting COVID, you get a good immune response to getting COVID, too. And there's really low risk of reinfection in the weeks and months following infection. The other reason to wait is that the immune response to vaccination is better with increased time between infection and vaccination. So in general, it's best to wait three months after infection to get the new COVID vaccine. Perfect.
0: Perfect. And then can I ask a specific question about, so I have some of my patients that are in the situation where they had gotten the Pfizer series as their first series, so they got Mm -hmm. three doses of Pfizer, and now our specific institution is only going to be getting the Moderna vaccine. Mm -hmm. And so in those situations, is that okay for the, the child to get the Moderna vaccine when their initial series was with Pfizer?
1: Yeah. So the CDC says that in general, the vaccines are interchangeable. The only difference is when you're vaccinating a child less than five for the first time, since there's a difference in the number of doses between the two, if you start mixing and matching, you have to go with the maximal number of doses. So three doses.
0: Oh, I see. I see. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. And is there any like new data coming out about the efficacy of the new vaccines or like how good of a job these are doing at protecting against severe illness and hospitalization like in a similar manner as this flu vaccine would.
1: You know, we the vaccines just came out, so we don't have the efficacy or effectiveness data yet with the new formulations, but if you look at the immune response, it's about 7 to 8 times better versus currently circulating strains compared to the previous bivalent vaccine. So we do expect that the better match will provide better protection compared to the previous vaccine formulation.
0: Maybe I should know this, but what is the difference between monovalent and bivalent? Because it almost sounds like bivalent was, like, better, you know, because it's, like, <laughs> double. And now we're going back to monovalent. But does so, that have nothing, like, what is what is that?
1: <laughs> so the original vaccine was the ancestral strain, was the, okay. the first strain that, that they discovered, right? Uh-huh. And then when we had Omicron and others, then they decided to update the vaccine. And when they combined the two the original strain with the updated strain, it did result in some advantages in terms of broadening the immune response. But now we found that that since people have already been exposed um, to, to COVID, that just having a monovalent vaccine is is theoretically sufficient. So that's why they've gone away from the bivalent.
0: I see. Okay. That sounds great. And then just to clarify, it's okay to get your flu shot and your COVID vaccine, your updated monovalent COVID vaccine together at the same visit.
1: Yeah, certainly you can get the COVID vaccine and the flu shot at the same visit. Um, you can get the COVID vaccine, and we'll talk about RSV. You can get RSV protection at the same visit. To the only caveat about simultaneous immunization is for one of the MPOX vaccines, and since not many children are receiving the MPOX vaccine, we don't really have Is that to- monkeypox? Yes. Sorry.
0: Oh, we're not, we're not calling that that anymore.
1: We're calling it MPOX.
0: Okay. I totally missed the boat on that one. So MPOX and COVID, not recommended to be given at the same time.
1: With one of the vaccines, yeah.
0: Okay. Sounds good. So let's get into RSV, monoclonal antibody, vaccine, <laughs> uh-huh. whatever it is. So, so, so exciting. We have done an episode on this last winter or was it the winter before?
1: I think it was last winter because that was the one that we had that huge spike right at the beginning of the season. And that was when we were talking about the the quote unquote triple demic, remember?
0: Yes, yes. And it was awful, awful, awful. And Mm -hmm. I mean, RSV has always been awful since I've been in training. I mean, we see our hospitals fill up every winter with kids that have bronchiolitis or lung disease from RSV. And so I think a, a all pediatricians on their like short wish list have had a vaccine to protect against RSV. And so now it's so exciting to know that that something is is here. And I was hoping you could give us a little bit of update on what that is.
1: Yeah. So I think one of the first issues we've already alluded to is like, is it a vaccine or is it not a vaccine? So We generally use the term vaccine for what we call active immunization, and that's when we administer an antigen. And an antigen is, for example, with COVID, it's the spike protein. Um, We administer that, and then we wait for our own bodies to form an immune response to that, to form antibodies and other forms of immunity. Now, for children, the vaccine that's recommended is nircivimab, which is a monoclonal antibody. So it's not actually a vaccine. It's passive immunization. We're giving people, we're giving the kids the actual antibody themselves. We don't have to rely on their immune system to respond to it. And so that's why it's not traditionally called a, a, a vaccine.
0: Oh, that makes sense. And so similar in some ways to like moms passing antibodies to their newborn during delivery, like why we give pregnant women the tetanus and whooping cough vaccine.
1: Right. And influenza vaccine during pregnancy also. So
0: they can pass some of their antibodies to the newborn.
1: Exactly. And then the kid is born with those antibodies and they're protected for several months until those antibodies break down.
0: So... I guess, what are the ages that are currently recommended for this new monoclonal antibody RSV protection? And are we hoping that all kids get it right away or?
1: Well, we can hope, but it turns out it's probably not not going to happen right away. But it is recommended for all infants eight months of age or younger during their first RSV season And then for certain children 8 to 19 months of age during their second RSV season, those children who are at higher risk for more severe disease. So that's a very small percentage of children.
0: Yeah, so that might be like kids with chronic lung disease of prematurity or congenital heart diseases that would put them at severe risk for illness.
1: Exactly. Yeah, those are the most common ones with severe immunocompromise, um, those those kind of children, and then certain other children who are at higher risk, like American Indian or Alaska Native children.
0: And then what did the initial study show? I remember quickly reading it and saying, like, wow, that sounded very impressive. The kids that got this had a significantly reduced risk of hospitalization or severe illness.
1: Yeah. So they have about a 70 to 80% decreased risk of hospitalization or even what we call medically attended RSV illness, meaning they have to go into the doctor's office or the emergency room or for, for, for any other reason. So it's really, it really works quite well.
0: Amazing. And do we know, I know that you mentioned like with passive immunity, it doesn't last quite as long. So how long do we think the duration of protection from the monoclonal antibody would be?
1: We know that it lasts through at least one RSV season. That's why for the children who continue to be at risk for a second season, they get another dose. And that's one of the really medical advances with this is most of these antibodies don't last that long, but they were able to change the formulation of the antibody so that it wasn't metabolized so fast so that it would have this this long duration of, of working.
0: Interesting. Yeah, because there has been a monoclonal antibody that we've used in the past. So this is not like a brand new technology. We've been using it in the form of a a medicine with a brand name called Synergis um, in our high-risk patients. So like our premature babies during their first season or the kids with severe congenital heart disease. But we were having to give a dose every month during RSV season. And so that was obviously hard on families you know, it, it costs a lot of money. So is this going to replace that, do you know, once it's available or or possibly we're going to be doing both for a while? What do you think?
1: I think it'll replace it because the the previous one or the current or previous one that we've been using, palevizumab is the generic name for it. Yeah, it, it, it lasts, the protection lasts about a month. So during the RSV season, which lasts usually five months, you have to give five intramuscular doses. Meaning you got to return to the office five times, get that shot five times. It hurts. Nobody wants that, <laughs> um, and it's pretty expensive. And the advantage of nirsevimab is it's one shot, so there's an advantage right there. And the other advantage is it costs less. So I fully expect it to eventually replace palivizumab, but the supply um, we're still not certain about the supply. So this year is probably going to be a transition year it's going to be shipped probably to um hospitals and offices in october um and we'll see what the supply is but i think we're going to have an overlap where some kids get nirsevimab and some kids get palivizumab this year um hopefully next year we'll we'll have the nirsevimab available for all
0: yeah and is it still in the in the works of like getting insurance companies to cover it and who's going to pay and and all of that and I know that you, you you know, obviously are not on the inside in those discussions, so you might not yeah, try know not where we be. are with that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so those discussions are going on. And for example, one of the issues are, what about if a kid is a newborn in, during the RSV season during um, October or November or something? Well, maybe they could get that shot in the hospital. That's like one that simplifies things, right? One less thing to do as an outpatient and in the office. So that would be great. But then you have to negotiate all those rates with the insurance company. So all that's under discussion about inpatient administration versus outpatient um, and coding and all those stuff that none of us like to really, (laughs) really deal with.
0: Totally. And, you know, it's reasonable for parents listening out there whose child is under eight months or has one of those high risk conditions um, and is under, you said, 19 months.
1: Yes, for the second months, year, if yeah. they have
0: a high-risk high, high risk condition, it's reasonable to reach out to your pediatrician's office and ask if they have any updated timelines about when it might become available. And I know here at UC Davis, I'm sure we're going to have a MyChart message or some notifications that go out to families when it is available. So fingers crossed that that will be sooner rather than later. My other question is around pregnancy. And there was an RSV va- uh, Also monoclonal antibody, I'm guessing. Or was it a vaccine that was approved for elderly patients?
1: There's actually two vaccines. So this is the traditional vaccine where you give it and they have an immune response to it. So there's two vaccines that have been approved for those 60 years of age and older. Um, It's a little bit different. So a lot of times we have strong recommendations. And for those 60 years of age and older... It's called shared clinical decision-making, which is the recommendation is to discuss it with your doctor. If you're at higher risk, then you would get it, and some people may, may or may not want to get it. And one of those vaccines is also approved for use um, during pregnancy with the same idea that we've talked about, is if you give it to the mom during pregnancy, then she can have an immune response and form those antibodies and then pass those along to the child, and certainly during the RSV season, you know, if they if you get if you time it right, then the child wouldn't need the nirsevimab. So that's an option also.
0: Yeah, so definitely something to keep in mind or talk to your OB about if you're in that stage of things because all the protection that that infants and newborns can get for this the better really.
1: Right. And just as a reminder about why we're talking about RSV so much and and the severity of RSV is 2 to 3% of infants in the U.S. end up being admitted to the hospital for RSV. So it's really quite common. It's the leading cause of hospitalization of infants in the U.S. Um, and it does result in between 100 and 300 childhood deaths per year. And so that's why we really want to prevent that, and that's why we really think that this is, this is a, real, a real advance in, in child health.
0: Yeah, I mean, I am so looking forward to seeing what it does to our hospital admission r- rates once it is widely available and people are widely using it, because I think it could be a real game changer.
1: Yeah, this will impact everybody in a positive way, too, because if you remember last year, the hospitals in many areas in the U.S. were, were full. They weren't accepting new patients because there it was such a severe season. Um and there was even talk about canceling like surgeries or anything that could be postponed because of that. Some patients who needed to be admitted had to be admitted to a hospital like a hundred or more miles away. So it was a real inconvenience um for, for families. And if we can get this under control, it really makes it, it makes healthcare more available for all.
0: So um stay tuned. We hope that everybody will reach out to their physicians or go to their local drugstore, make sure you're getting your influenza vaccine. The best time to get the vaccine, Dr. Dean, what would you say?
1: You know, generally, um, I I recommend getting it in late September or early October, the peak of the season. It's really hard to predict. Um, But since the vaccine protection lasts four to six months, that gives you your best chance of being protected throughout the season, with a couple of exceptions. One is that we mentioned children six months to eight years of age who need two doses. So get that first dose in as soon as possible, even in August, and then you can get the second dose in late September or early October. And the other is pregnant women during their third trimester, Um, they should get vaccinated as soon as the vaccine is available to allow time for an adequate immune response and then the transfer of the antibody through the placenta to protect the newborn.
0: That makes total sense. I always say flu before boo, like flu before Halloween.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> I always have to clarify it. So maybe it's not that good of a saying.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think it's cute.
0: Um, and then, and then um, have a discussion with your healthcare provider about getting your COVID new monovalent vaccine
1: mm-hmm.
0: and hopefully RSV coming down the pipeline soon, too.
1: Yeah, and the timing is right for COVID vaccine because we are seeing rates inch up, and we do expect our um, COVID eventually to be a seasonal virus, just like um, influenza, and in winter should be the time when we see we see a real increase in COVID cases. So get get protected now. That wraps up this episode of Kids Considered.
0: You can find more information on our website, kidsconsidered.ucdavis.edu.
1: Follow us on Twitter at KidsConsidered.
0: And Instagram at KidsConsidered.
1: If you have feedback on this show or topics you would like us to discuss in the future, we would love to hear from you.
0: Please call us. Our number is 916 915 3388.
1: Or email us at kidsconsidered at gmail.com.